Welcome to the Harbor Church Podcast. Harbor is here to connect people with Jesus and with each other. If you're looking to get connected, you can find more info at harborchurch.com. Now here's this week's message from Pastor Josh. Welcome to our first ever. That's about, as, that's about all I got too. Now you know why our softball team isn't doing so well. Um, man, it's so good to see you guys. Thank you so much for coming out. Thanks for being a part of uh, the first outdoor service of the year, man. It's good to see you guys. Those of you that don't know me, my name is Josh. I'm the lead pastor here at Harbor Church. Man, we're stoked that we finally get to have together. We do four services, um, and that, and we are we are packing it out in those services where there's not there's not enough seats on Thursday and Sunday. And man, we're like, if we can get a good weather day, let's just get a bunch of chairs, get a bunch of seats out, see if we get everybody together. As Katie said, you might be going to the same church as some of your neighbors and not even realize it. So make sure you spend some time today, look around, get to know some people. I don't normally preach in sunglasses, but this gives me the opportunity to look cool while I preach and uh, it lets me see you. So I can see you, unlike some of the times where you're like hiding in the dark. I see you right now on your cell phone. I watched eight people just pop their heads up for the first time. Uh, I'm looking at the Bible. Bull crap. I haven't even read a verse yet. You're not looking at the Bible. We all know you're not. Uh, man, but I am excited that we get to do this. We get to hang out. I got, a, I got a quick message for you, and then we're going to do baptisms, which is an awesome, awesome thing to get to see people come uh, go public with their faith. Help me out, though. Uh, if you are on your cell phone, just put it on silent. Just help it out so that people around you aren't distracted by your text messages going off or your, your ringer going off. Moms, dads, help me out with your kids. Uh, this is not a time for them to be running around, making noise, distracting everybody. Uh, I just want to pull your attention in just for a couple of minutes so that I can challenge you, church, on something that God has laid on my heart. As Mike said just a few minutes ago, this is a a special weekend for us. I don't have necessarily a Memorial Day message. Um, I I, I tend not to do holiday messages, but the message that God put on my heart really does tie into this weekend. And it wasn't intentional. I didn't realize I was going to be preaching this message on this day, but um, as God has opened it up, I just want you to lean in for just a second as I tell you a story. Before I do, I want to ask a question. Did any of you ever play a game that we called? I don't know what you called it. I, I asked a couple different people. They didn't call it this, but we called it King of the Hill, and it's where kids are on the top. You just find something that you're like, this is it, and then you have to keep everybody else off of it. It was basically just an excuse to shove your friends. Did anybody ever play a game like that or know what I'm talking about? All right, did any of you call it King of the Hill? Because that's what, okay, so some of you didn't raise your hand either because you're lazy or you didn't actually call it. And uh, man, my mic keeps cutting out. So this game that we're playing, that, that we played as a kid, the, the design was whatever we decided was the hill, and often it was very, it was, it was barely any higher than the rest of the ground. But sometimes we would we would find something to stand on or we would climb up a hill or whatever. And, the, and if you haven't played this, the goal was to get up on top and stay there and stand your ground. And everybody else kept trying to knock you off so they could be the king of the hill. And as I said, it was an excuse to wrestle and push your friends down, which I'm sure is illegal now. And you're not allowed to have fun anymore. And so I'm sure it's, it's like everybody gets a hill, but back in the day, there was only one king and it, it was, it was done in a way to make you uh, 
make you you say if if you had the spot you weren't going to give it up. Now we used to do drills like this when uh, if you played sports, maybe you uh, you'd play. You were pushed back, and your goal was to not give up any ground. It's this mentality of this is this is is where I'm supposed to be. You can't take it from me. All right, I will move the the pack a couple of inches and see if that makes a difference. All right. Maybe, maybe not. Every time we do an outdoor service, I just know it's going to be like this. There is a story in the Bible. Many of you have heard the story of David and Goliath. Even if you're not from church, you might have heard of a David and Goliath. But after David kills Goliath, but before he becomes King David, he becomes a captain and he's given men, uh, or he actually kind of recruits and draws men to him that, that follow him as their leader. <clears throat> he's got several hundred men, but it says that he has an elite group. Then they were simply known as the 30. And there was these 30 men that were known to be like the special forces of David's army. And in that 30, there was three three that were above and beyond, three that were like the top tier. And we don't know a lot about them. Mostly we just get one or two verses. And one of the guys I want to draw your attention to today, it gives us two of them. And then it says on the third one, it says next to him, and this is found in 2 Samuel chapter 23, verses 11 and 12. Next to him was a guy named Shammah. And Shammah was the son of Agi, the Herorite. And when the Philistines banded together at a place where there was a field, a field full of lentils, Israel's troops fled away. They ran away. But Shammah took his stand in the middle of the field and he defended it and he struck the Philistines down and the Lord brought about this great victory. It's two verses. That's really all we know about one of these guys. He, he's listed as one of one of the top three in David's army. They were like the, the captains of the 30, this elite force. And then they said, hey, here's the credentials. And the credentials for this guy, Shama, was that one day the bad guys invaded and they took their position in a field of lentils. And if you don't know what lentils are, they're in the legume family. So they're like beans or peas. They're just smaller, really popular in this area of the country. And these lentils, this field of lentils, the, the Philistines, the bad guys amassed there, and the Israelites ran away. And it says, but Shammah by himself stood in the middle of that field. And, and I'll read to you again. Shammah took his stand in the middle of the field, and he defended it, and he struck down the Philistines. This guy went one on many. We don't even know how many, but we know as a whole troop of Philistines. This guy took him on by himself and God gave him the victory. That makes you pretty famous when you go on against an army by yourself. Here's what I want you to understand about this story really quickly today. It starts by telling us who he is. He's Shammah, the son of Agi the Herorite. Do you know what a Herorite is? I can tell you do. The, the word there used is for someone of the hill country of Judah. A Herorite means hillbilly. It really does. If you were called a Herorite, you were called like, oh, that's one of those hill people. That's literally what it means. He was Shama, one of the hill people. Now, I don't know how you guys grew up, 
but I grew up with a lot. I have a lot of relatives from Southern Ohio, like right down on the Kentucky border where everybody marries their sister, that kind of thing. And, and they're all hillbillies. My parents are hillbillies. My uncles and aunts are hillbillies and uh, everybody in that area. And being a hillbilly, they wear it with pride, but outside of that area, everybody uses it as an insult. And uh, it's, it's kind of the same here. It's not necessarily an insult in the Bible, but it's definitely saying like, hey, you're not normal. Like, you're not like the rest of us. And I love that it tells us his background before it tells us what he does. You wanna know why? There's many of you here today that when I start to talk about God doing something big in your life, you immediately bring up your background as an excuse for why God can't do that to you or for you. I can't get a victory, Pastor Josh. You don't know what I've done in my life. People I go and I talk to like, you need Jesus. Well, not me. I've done so many bad things. I've crossed, I've burned too many bridges. I, I've, I, I've, I've gotten, I've wasted my life. I've hurt people. I've done stupid things. I have a, I have a past. We all have a past. We all have fallen short of God's glory. The best person here, if Mother Teresa was on the front row right now, I could preach to her, you're not good enough for Jesus, and yet he still loves you anyways. And that's true of her, and it's true of the worst person here. He says, listen, he goes, this is just Shama. He's a nobody. He's a nobody until he does something for the Lord. And now he goes down in history as one of the top three. The Bible tells us in Zechariah 4, it's one of my favorite verses. It says, don't despise small beginnings for the Lord rejoices to see a work begin. See, the reason it gives us that verse is because you and I tend to look down on hillbillies. We tend to look down on things that don't meet up to our expectations. We tend to look down on things where God says, hey, I want to do something small in your life and I want to see if you can trust me with that and then I want to grow it. But you and I were like, this is so small, this thing that... Go talk to my neighbor and be friendly. That's ah, beneath me. And that's why you never have any victories. You look down on the little things. You want this big, big thing to happen. But you're not willing to trust God with something small, like reading your Bible in the morning. You're not going to trust God with something small, like actually being kind to the person at Dunkin' who hands you your coffee. Well, that's beneath me. It won't make a difference. Really? Just try loving like Jesus has commanded us to love and watch how the little things start to turn into big things. Some of you, you won't tithe. You won't go and share your testimony. You won't commit to being a part of a healthy church. Sure, you'll show up at a Memorial Day thing outside, but you know, outside of a special on occasion when I'm not doing something, you're not gonna be a part of what God has for you. Why? Because you've determined it's small and it's insignificant and you'd rather go do something else and the reason you're not finding the spiritual victories in your life is because you're looking down on the small things. <sighs> what it is that you're not understanding is that the man he was following, David, was a nobody till he killed that giant. Do you understand that God loves to use nobodies and small things to do amazing stuff? If you feel like you cannot do what it is that God's called you to do, good then that means that you actually need God. The problem is some of you are sitting there going, I got it all on me. No, you don't. And then the other half, you swing the pendulum the other way and you're like, it'll never happen. It can never happen. I can never do it. Well, now your God's too small. This is what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27 through 31. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. 
He chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. He chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, you who became to, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. That verse, those of you that I lost there, because I know three verses in a row and you start to tune out. <laughs> what that verse is saying is God, God going, I like to use the lowest thing because that shows how great God is. We like to look around and say, who's the biggest? Who's the best? Who's got it all? Let them do something. And God goes, no, I want to I, I look out and see the person who humbles themselves and doesn't think they've got it all answered and doesn't think they've got it all figured out. This is the direct opposite of today's culture. If you go and, and look in what culture is saying and what the world tells you, the world says, dig down deep and you've got the answer inside of you. You try a little bit harder and you can do it and you save yourself and you be the hero of your story and you, 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 you've got it. And we love it because it looks good on Pinterest. I've got it deep inside. I'll just try really hard until we wake up one morning and we recognize that none of us are good enough deep down inside that none of us have what it takes. None of us have the answers. None of us have the ability to forgive sin. None of us have the right plan for the future uh, aside from God. And that's why people who have turned away from God and try to dig down deep in themselves ultimately come up short. And that's why the world has had to substitute in everything else for them. The substances, the people, the, the luxuries, the materialism, the things that draw people back in. He was a nobody till he did something. God gave him an opportunity to stand up and it changed the course of his life. Well, pastor, that's, you're talking about soldiers. Yeah, I'm talking about a spiritual thing, but I'm also talking that, that in this physical example, it works the same way. A lot of people say the right thing will be done by the people who know what to do. Okay. Is that you? Not are you trained, not have you gone to Bible college, not do you have all of this, but are, do you know what's right and will you do the right thing? You know our country, the country we're in right now, the United States. Some of you look at me like you're confused. If you go back to our first real war, our war for independence, the Revolutionary War, do you know that the people who stood up were just church people? Do you know that? It wasn't our army. If you go back to our very first battle, Lexington Bridge, the shots heard around the world, the shots that said, okay, hey, we're not taking this anymore. If you go back to our own country's history, Lexington Bridge was Reverend Jonas Clark and 73 of the men from his church that said, hey, we're gonna stand up and do the right thing. Everybody else was afraid. And it just took some people who said, we know the right thing. Right after that, you have the Concord Bridge. So Lexington and, Lexington and Concord, some of you are like getting a flashback to like fifth grade history right now. At the Concord Bridge, it was Reverend William Emerson and 300 of his men from his church that said, we'll stand up and we'll do it. They kicked the whole thing off. Fast forward a couple weeks to Bunker Hill. You've got Joseph, uh, Reverend Joseph Willard. He had two companies, just church people, who said, hey, we're going to take a stand. Now, training that you have. 
It's about your willingness to do the right thing. I'm going to say that again for the people in the back. It's not about all the training, like, oh, I haven't done all this. I haven't been a Christian for a long time. I don't know the Bible. I haven't, no, no. You, when you know the right thing to do, your willingness to step up and do it, even if everybody else says no. Shama is in a, is in a field that everybody else says, this doesn't matter. It's a, a field of lentils, peas, if that makes it easier for you. I'm not dying for a hill of peas, everybody else says. And see, this is the thing that Satan does in your mind. He tells you, hey, you need to give up ground because it's not worth it. You need to give up on your marriage because it's not worth it. It's just, it's, it's too much, it's going to cost you too much. It's the relationship with that family member who's hard to get along with and obnoxious. It's too difficult. Give it up. This battle you have with sobriety, it's going to cost you too much. Just give in, take another drink, pop another pill. This battle that God is calling you to, it's, it's not worth it. Do you understand? Everybody else, a, a field of lentils, a bunch of peas, the enemy can have it. See, that, that wasn't just a field of peas. It was the promised land. It was the land that God said, I've got this for you. And when he looked, this is what God has given me to feed my family. This is a picture. This is a, an illustration of God's work in my life. I don't care if everybody else thinks it's a worthless patch of peas. I'm going to take my ground. I'm going to stand here and make sure that the enemy can't have any of it. So as much as the world tells you that the thing that you've got in your life just give up the ground and fight a different battle later. You have to dig down deep and go, no, is this what God has for me? I might be a nobody on a hill of peas, but if God says he wants to use me, that this is the right thing, even if nobody else appreciates my battle, I will stand firm against whatever it is that Satan has for me. You see that group, that field was part of the promised land. And when the Israelites came, they had spent hundreds of years waiting for a place to call home. They sent in 12 spies to see if the land was something that was conquerable. Ten of the spies said, there's giants in the land, we won't be able to take it. Two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, said, yeah, there's giants, but it's the land flowing with milk and honey. If God says that's ours, then let's go take it. And he'll take care of the giants. The people didn't listen to Joshua and Caleb. And so they decided not to fight the battles. And because of that, they have to wander the desert for decades. And when they're finally allowed to enter, God gives them victory after victory. And then you find Caleb as an old man. Only he and Joshua were the only old men left because they were the only ones that said God could do it. They walk into that promised land and in Joshua chapter 14, verse 12, Caleb says, give me the mountain that the Lord promised me. God promised us this land. I want that mountain. You'll remember that as scouts, we found the descendants of Anak. Remember when we were spies, I know that there's a bunch of giants fortified at the top of that mountain. I want it anyways. 
if the Lord is with me, then I will drive them out of the land just as he has promised. See, here's the difference between the people who step up and do something versus the people that hear this message and then go back to believing the lies that Satan has for them. It's, do I believe that the Lord will give me what he has promised me? Do I actually trust that God is faithful? Because if I do, then there's nothing that's impossible for him. You see, if you have a big God, then all you have is small problems. But if you have a small God, then you will tend to have a lot of big problems. See, those giants, they look big to somebody whose God is small. But if my God is the creator of the universe, it doesn't matter how big a giant I'm facing, it's small compared to my God. It's all about my perspective. Leviticus chapter 20. Hence have I said to you, in verse 24, you are to possess the land, this is God talking, and I myself will give it to you to possess it. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God who has, who has separated you from all of those pagan people. He says, I promise it to you. I believe that Shama, in the middle of that battle, when everybody else that was his friend, maybe even family members, said the Philistines are too big, we're out. And maybe you're sitting here today and there's been a time in your life when nobody else wanted to stand with you for what was right. Nobody else valued the things that you were trying to value. Maybe it was a relationship. Maybe it was a call on your life to be a better man or a better woman. When everybody else backed out, he had to stop and think about the promises. Why would I die for a lentil field? A bunch of peas, a bunch of beans. Why would I die for this? Oh wait, God told me that he gave me this to steward. See, the world will look at your life and tell you just to give up on what you got going on. That, hey, go, go fight a different fight. Go find something else. This thing, this isn't, this isn't worth it. See, God likes to take little things and turn them into really big things. We're the ones who often shortchange what God can do. Deuteronomy is one of the promises that God gives us that we need to remember. Deuteronomy's promise is in chapter 31. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord will personally go ahead of you. He will be with you. He will never fail you. He will never abandon you. Psalms 32 says, the Lord says, I will guide you along the best path for your life. I promise to guide you. I promise to advise you, in verse 8. I promise to watch over you. You see, we act as if though God has never made us a promise. Tomorrow at work, you can be the man or the woman that God's called you to be. When you go to school, when you talk to that person, when you interact with that neighbor, you can do the right thing if God has really promised you that he'll be with you, if you truly believe that. Here's the one that really, <coughs> really needs to be a promise that some of you take him up on. Matthew 11, verse 28, Jesus promises, he says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Hey, look at me. There are some of us that have not taken God up on the promise that he will give us rest for our souls. Our lives are too short to imagine that we have to build everything on our own shoulders. 
Some of you are exhausted. Some of you are workaholics and it's not adding joy to your life. It's just adding more stress. There's some of you that haven't God had his promise that, hey, if you'll just do what I've called you to do, I've got better for you. He says, I will give you rest. My yoke is easy to bear. The burden I give you is light. Now, here's the, here's the flip side of all of this, and I'm done. Shama still had to fight. He still had to fight. He took the stand. Everybody else runs away. That, that's hard. When everybody else runs back to step forward and go, nope. This is mine, and you can't have it. Some of you need to do that. <laughs> I believe that right now, you be working in your life to say, hey, take a stand in your family and say, devil, you cannot have my children. You need to step up and say, God, if you've given me this job to work, it may not be the money that I want, it may not be the money that I want, it may not be the paycheck that I want, but God, you've given me as this as a place to have a testimony, then I will shine a light in this place or in this classroom or in this family situation because you've given it to me. Take, standing up and taking the stand is the first hard thing that Shama had to do. But then he had to actually fight the bad guys. Why? Because bad before victories. The devil's the prince and power of the air, and I know he doesn't want you to hear this, so even if my mic cuts out, I need you to lean in. Battles come before victories. And so the devil shows up and he says, it ain't worth the fight. It ain't worth the fight. And some of you are in that spot right now where you're not fighting for the thing that God's told you to fight for. God's got better for your life. I don't know what doctor gave you what diagnosis, but God says he wants to use your life to bless others, to draw glory to him. So if you're on this side of the dirt, then God's still got something for you to do. And when you sit there and you say, man, my, my battle, my battle's too big. You don't get a victory without a battle. If you think that like, oh, but isn't the whole point that God fights for me? Yes, God fights for me, but he wants you to get on the battlefield and start swinging the sword and then he brings the victory. But most of us are just like, I just want to let God do it all. Just God, you just do it for me. That's not faith. That's laziness. Wow. Faith says, God, I don't know how one person can beat an army, but I will swing my sword. I will fight this fight in your name, with your power, and I'll trust that everything else that needs to happen will happen. This is how David wrote it. If you and believers aren't supposed to take spiritual fights on, listen to this from Psalms 18, verse 32. God arms me with strength. He makes my way perfect. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, enabling me to stand on mountain heights. He trains my hands for battle. He strengthens my arm to draw a bow. You have given me your shield of victory, O Lord. Your right hand supports me. Your help has made me great. You have made a wide path for my feet to keep from slipping. I chased my enemies and I caught them. I did not stop until they were conquered. I struck them down so that they could not get up. They fell beneath my feet. You have armed me with strength for the battle. You have subdued my enemies under my feet. If you don't think 
If you don't think that God has a victory for you in the area that you're struggling with right now, your God is too small. See, the Lord of heaven, who knew that you would be here today, and he knew what would be going on in your life with those people, with the bank account, with the health issues, with the broken hearts, with the frustration. He knows everything that's going on and has gone on and will go on. He says, I've got a plan for you. I want better for you than you even want for yourself, but you have to stop trusting yourself as the God of your life and you have to trust me. And if you want the victory, you're going to have to fight the battle. You're gonna have to stand up when everybody else shrinks away. You're gonna have to say it's worth it even if nobody else agrees with me. And you're gonna have to start facing and taking on the enemy. The victory that God has for you in your marriage is going to be a battle. Parents, you want your right way? It will be a battle to raise your kids the way that they're supposed to be. But if you want the victory, you need to fight the battle. Whatever it is that's worth the victory, you need to also understand needs to be worth the battle. Some of us are like, well, I just hope it all works out and I'm just going to do me. No, God's called you to more than that. 1 Corinthians 15, maybe you should write this down, verse 57, it says, Thanks be to God. What do I need to thank God for? Thanks be to Here's what I found. Shut up, Siri. <laughs> Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a very simple verse. The victory that God gives me only comes through my walk with Jesus Christ. I want you to bow your head and I want you to close your eyes. Right where you're at, just bow your head and close your eyes and have a conversation between you and God right now in this moment. What victory do you believe God has for you today? What victory is it that God's calling you to step into? For some of you, Today, God wanted to use today to wake you up. He wanted you to admit that you've been giving up ground in places that he has promises for you. There's areas that you said it's just a pea patch. It's, just, it's insignificant. It's just my workplace. It's just a couple of kids on the bus. It's just an, a, 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 an uncle that nobody wants to talk to anymore. And he's saying, no, that's an area that I have promises for you. And so today, in the middle of this moment, why don't you pray right where you're at and say, God, forgive me for giving up ground that you said is valuable. Forgive me for looking down on things that you said are important. Forgive me for turning a blind eye to areas where I can step in and be more of who you've called me to be. Maybe right now in this moment, you just need forgiveness. You just need to say, God, I'm sorry. Some of you, you might have been saying, it's just because I'm a nobody. I don't have the training. I'm not who I'm supposed to be. And yet God's saying, I want to use you to stand against the enemy. So today you say, God, I am a nobody, but you're a somebody. And I am small, but God, you are big. And I'm sorry that I've been saying that my problems are bigger than you. And so right where you're at, why don't you just simply pray and say, God, I need a bigger God. I need less of me and more of you today. Perhaps 
while I was preaching, the Holy Spirit poked you in the heart about the fact that you've been avoiding a couple of battles. There's something that God has better for you, but you're, you're afraid to fight. Maybe you've got a dependence on a substance. Maybe there's something in your life that you've been turning to instead of God, something that you think will make you happy, something that you've been worshiping, something that you've given control of yourself over to, and it's not what he has for you. It's, it's what you want. And so today you've got to say, God, I'm sorry that I haven't been fighting the battle like I should have. Lord, I know you've got better for me. Help me. And as there's people praying all over this, this property, there's some of you right now under the sound of my voice, the victory that God wants to give you is one you haven't claimed. It's called the victory over sin. It's called the victory over hell. It's not one, that's one battle you don't have to fight because Jesus Christ fought that battle on the cross for you. He is giving you that victory with no strings attached. I know that in a crowd this size, there's many of you who do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. I'm not saying you haven't heard of him. I'm not saying you haven't prayed. I'm saying there's never been a time in your life where you invited the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, to take up residence in your heart. You go to church, you try to do good things, but that's not the same as inviting Jesus Christ to be your personal Lord and Savior. So in this moment right now, as I pray out loud, would you pray quietly and say, dear God, I need you more than I need anything else. The Bible says that if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But the choice is yours. Will you hold him to that promise? God, take away everything I've ever done wrong. I can't fix me, but you can. Would that be your prayer? It doesn't have to be those exact words, but if you give over control of your life, to Jesus Christ. The Bible says he will save you, he will forgive you, and one day when you die, he will have a home in heaven waiting for you. But it's up to you. You pray whatever you feel God leading you to pray. I'll pray out loud. Let's go before him. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, we come to you. And in this moment, Lord, we thank you for all that you've given us. You gave us the story of Shama, a nobody hillbilly who did something pretty amazing because he trusted you more than he trusted what other people think. God, I believe that in this, in this area here today, at this time we have together, there's a bunch of people that have your hand on their life that you want something better for them than what they even want for themselves. They just have to decide to trust you more. So Lord, help me, help each one of us to truly trust you and to lean into your promises more than we listen to what culture says. God, I ask that you would be with the person under the sound of my voice right now who desperately needs you, who needs a savior. God, I ask that in this moment, they would surrender control of their life. They would move out of the driver's seat and trust you for a change. God, I know there's somebody right now, they're, they're, they're debating on what to do. And Lord, they need you. They need to trust you and surrender to you. So God, pull on their heart. Don't let them go. Help them come closer to you today. And God, with every man, woman, and child that's here today, would you help us be the kind of people that you can use to impact our communities, to stand up for what is right, Lord, don't let us use any excuses, God. Don't let, us, don't let us push it off to tomorrow. Lord, help us that right now we would become a light 
in our homes, in our workplaces, in our schools, and in our neighborhoods and communities. God, let us shine into the darkness a hope that is Jesus Christ. We thank you and we praise you. It's in your perfect and holy name that we pray all of this. Amen. If you'd like to support the ministries of Harbor as we bring the hope of Jesus to our community and around the world, you can visit harborchurch.com give or text any amount to 84321. Thanks for listening. See you next week.